All right, so we're in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, and this is one of my favorite passages. And uh, oddly enough, this passage is, is, is often overlooked um, in the overall flow of Ephesians. And um, the reason is because if, if, if you haven't noticed, if you didn't notice during the reading, it's one large prayer. It's one large prayer. Um, and, the, and the book of Ephesians is it's usually seen as a, as a very doctrinal book with uh, logical arguments. And uh, certainly Paul is, is doing that in the book of uh, Ephesians. He's, he's making a theological argument. But what we often miss is that the book of Ephesians, and really all of Paul's letters, are, are uh, interspersed with long uh, segments of prayer. Uh, so there's one here in, in chapter 1, um, and then there's one in chapter 3. And there doesn't seem to be much of any reason for it. It's almost like Paul is, is writing and he just goes off in spontaneous prayer. Um, and that's, that's just how Paul was. You know, there, there are some people who have a passion for prayer. And, you know, so much so that they can't help but break into prayer. Uh, my wife is that way. Uh, she wants to pray about everything. And uh, I am not so much that way. Um, I like structure. I like, uh, I like to know where I'm going. Uh, but she is a prayer. And she always prays with, with our kids at night. She always uh, wants to pray with me if I'm preaching or leading worship or, any, or whatever. She always wants to pray. And um, I'm the grumpster who, uh, who doesn't want to do that. <laughs> but that's how Paul was. Paul was a prayer. He was somebody who prayed, and, and even during the writing of his letters, he broke into spontaneous prayer. He couldn't even help it. Now the question is, what does Paul pray for? And uh, why is it so important that he would interrupt his letter to do it? Uh, because if you, if, you, if, you don't, if you don't see it, Paul is, is starting in verse 3, he's in this long uh, run-on seg- uh, sentence, this long argument that he interrupts, <laughs> uh, and he prays for the Ephesians. So why, is the, why, why does he break into prayer? Why does he see it as so important? Well, in verse 18, here's what Paul prays for. If you want to look here at verse 18, he prays that the Ephesians' eyes, that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. Okay? Now, uh, if you Grew up in church in the 90s, you might recognize that line. Say, buddy, open the eyes of my heart. Nobody? Can I get an amen if somebody? Okay, there we go. All right, good. Whew, I'm not alone. Um, that's where they get, that's where they get this, this, uh, this song from. Paul is asking for the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened. Okay? Enlightened. And that's the key word here. He uses this word enlightened. Now, what, is, what does this word mean? Well, the Greek word that Paul uses is fotizo. And uh, if you listen carefully, it, it, it sounds like our word, English word, photo. Uh, and in fact, that's where we get our word. It's, it's, uh, we get that word from uh, its Greek root. Uh, photizo means literally to give light or to light up. All right? So Paul is asking that God would give light to the eyes of the Ephesians, to the spiritual eyes of the Ephesians. Paul uses the same word in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 4. He says that at the last judgment, God's going to bring light to the hidden things, to the hidden evil deeds of, of, of people. Now, uh, we use this word photo in reference to uh, photographs, pictures that we take. And um, we, we've lost the significance of that word because nowadays we have iPhones. And um, when we take photos with iPhones, those aren't really photos. Those are just digital pictures. Um, because, you know, when I was a young whippersnapper, um, I'm... I'm not old. Anyways, uh, I'm still young. <clears throat> um, anyways, 
we would have these, these uh, uh, disposable cameras that you'd have to crank, right? And there was the film inside. And when you took a picture, you couldn't just see the picture, right? You had taken a photo that, that got on this, this little film, and you had to take it to uh, Walgreens or Walmart or wherever and get that picture developed. And what did they have to do? Well, they had to take it into a dark room, and they had to bring that picture that was on the, uh, on the, uh, the lens, they had to bring that to light so that you could see it. Um, that's what Paul is praying Paul is praying that what is hidden, uh, that what is in the dark, uh, might be brought to light. And notice, what lays in the dark is something that the Ephesians already have. Paul says in verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. In other words, the Ephesians have this hope that God has called them to, and yet Paul is praying that they would see what they already have. Um, and this is a really important spiritual principle. Paul is, is trying to say, it's one thing to have something, but it's a totally other thing to know what you have. Right? It's, it's, it's one thing to own something, but it's a total other thing to know the value of what you have. You know, one of my favorite shows is American Pickers. Anybody, anybody like that show? Yes, all one of you. But it's these two guys that travel all across the, uh, the United States, and they go into these old abandoned houses with antiques, and they have to climb through all this dust, and they're trying to find lost valuables. And um, it's, it's crazy that the, the old junk that is laying around for centuries is crazy the worth that it has. Um, but, that's, but that's usually what happens. I, I remember I watched um, a show just, just the other day where this, one, of the, one of the pickers, he, he, had this, uh, he found this wallpaper sample, sample book so all it was was a book with wallpaper samples, and he paid $500 for it. And he was going to sell it for $1,000. Um, it's crazy. It was just laying there for hundreds of years. Um, the owner of that wallpaper book had no clue what they had, what they owned. Um, another show I, I love is, is Storage Wars. Um, and, th- and that's, why, that's, that's when uh, these people go to these storage lockers that have been abandoned, and they bid on them, they, and they buy them outright. They don't get to see what's inside. And so they'll pay, you know, say $1,000, and they, then they have to go in there, they have to open up the, the door and see what's in there, see what they own. Uh, this is what Paul is praying. He's praying that what you own, what you have in your possession, would be seen. Uh, that what you have, you would know. That's, that's, what he's, uh, that's what he's praying. Just to give you one more, one more practical example. When I was 18 years old, I was kicked out of my house. And uh, it was because I refused to stop doing drugs, so that's, <laughs> that's a good reason for that. But my parents loved me, but they had to kick me out because they, wouldn't, they couldn't condone my actions. But I remember that very night storming out of the house and saying, you know, I didn't want, I didn't want to live here anyways, you know. Storming out of the house, huffing and puffing, and I went over to a friend's house. And I remember this very distinctly, sitting down and thinking, man, I got my life together. It's gonna, this is going to be amazing, you know. And then I'm just like, where do I work? work at Popeye's, you know, <laughs> am I going to school? No, I dropped out. <laughs> What's on TV? Oh, they don't have a TV. Dang it. You know, can I pay the electricity? No. You know, I'm just going through all of these things that I had at my parents' house, but now I'm just realizing what I had. Uh, this is what Paul wants. He wants for us to realize what we had, have. Uh, he wants for us to understand the value of what God has given us in Christ. He wants us to properly comprehend it. 
Okay, now the question is, what does Paul want us to properly comprehend? What does he want us to see? And what Paul does is he prays here that we would see two key things. Two key things. So that's what we're going to be covering this morning. The first is he prays that we would understand and see and comprehend our inheritance. Our inheritance. The second thing is he prays that, that we would understand God's power. So those are, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And Paul is praying for us that we would have our eyes opened, that we would have our senses attuned. And so uh, with that, let's go ahead and jump into our first point. Paul prays that we would see our inheritance. Our inheritance. So let's go ahead and look at verse 18 again. And here's what Paul says. He says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So what, what does Paul pray? He says, I pray that you would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So he wants us to be enlightened to an inheritance that we have from God. Now what, what is an inheritance? Well, uh, very simply, an inheritance is an estate or property uh, that is handed down from one family to another. It's handed down within a family. Um, the, the English word for inheritance comes from the Latin hedit, uh, hereditare. So you can hear the word hereditary, uh, hereditary in there. So if something is, is hereditary, it's, it's something that is passed down from parent to child. So for instance, I have brown eyes, and our first child has brown eyes. Right? Our second child has blonde curly locks. Certainly did not get those from me, but she got them from my wife. My wife has blonde curly hair. Um, that is a hereditary trait that is passed down. Well, an inheritance is, is like that. It's, it's, not a, it's not a character trait, but it's in a state of property. It's a, it's a collection of possessions that is passed down from one family member to the next. So going back to American Pickers, many people inherit entire houses just full of junk. And, and they don't know what to do about it, so they just they go through it and they sell it all because the, it's, it's just so much stuff. They've inherited all of this stuff. Um, even bank accounts are, are, are passed down. My, my grandfather gave me an account of money. I, I inherited that, and we bought our house with it. <laughs> so that was, that was real nice. But an inheritance is a collection of things that's passed down from one family member to another. And what Paul says is that we get an inheritance not from earthly parents, uh, but from God himself. God himself, Paul means to say, is our father. And as a father, he passes down an inheritance to his beloved children. Okay? Now, of course, what, what, is, what does that presume of us? It presumes that we have become, through Christ, children of God. And that's, that's what Paul says in Ephesians 1. He says that God, from all of eternity, purposed to adopt us through Christ. He purposed to make us children uh, through his beloved son. Um, so through the gift of his son, he makes us his children, and as a good father, uh, he gives us an inheritance. Now before we move on to what this inheritance is, I, j I just want to look at the structure of the sentence that Paul writes, because it's a very strange uh, structure. Let's just go ahead and read that again. And I just want you to notice what Paul doesn't say uh, versus what he does. So he says, what are the riches of of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Notice how Paul constructs that sentence. He, he doesn't say, it, it, as children, we, we, we might say, well, it's, it's our inheritance. And it's our inheritance because we're, we're children of God. But that's not actually what Paul says. Paul doesn't say that. He says, it is his inheritance 
in the saints. Okay? Now the question is, what does Paul mean by that? Well, at, at base, what it means is that whatever this inheritance is, <laughs> it isn't properly ours. Okay? It's given to us, but it, actually, it isn't ours by right. Okay? And the question is, whose inheritance is it that we're receiving? Okay? And, and what's the Sunday school answer? What's, <laughs> everybody say, Jesus, right? It's Jesus' inheritance. And we, and we can see that just from asking the question, if we're not natural children of God, and we're not, Paul says in Ephesians 2, that we are by nature children of wrath, that we're born as sinners. We're not born as children. We come into God's family by grace. Well, who is God's natural-born son? Well, the Bible says that it is Jesus. Jesus, from all of eternity, is the divine Son of God. Right? What the Bible says is that from all of eternity, God the Father begat a son. Right? He didn't create a son. He begat a son from all of eternity. And he begat the son in the power of the Spirit. So God the Father had a son in the power of the Spirit, and that's what we call the Holy Trinity. Uh, the Trinity is properly a, a father from all of eternity loving a son in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this son received from the father all that was his. Life, joy, eternity. And then God sent the son. Yes, to die for our sins. Uh, yes, to obey where we didn't. But, but even more fundamental than that, he sent his son to give us by grace what the son has by right. The son has by right all that belongs to the father and we get it by grace. Right? The early church fathers were fond of saying that God the Son became a son of man. And why? That sons of men might become sons of God. Right? The reformers called this the great exchange. Christ takes on our poverty, our sin, and he gives us his riches. Right? He takes on what is ours to give us what is his. And so through sending the Son, we receive an inheritance that is properly not ours, but that is given to us by grace. And the, and the next question, of course, becomes, what is this inheritance? What is this inheritance? Well, we can, we can find out what the inheritance is just by tracing this New Testament uh, trend of the Father's relationship to the Son. So, for instance, in Hebrews 1, we're told, in Hebrews 1-2, we are told that God made the Son, God the Father made the Son the heir of all things. God the Father made the Son the heir of all things. Or for instance, in Colossians 1, Paul says that God the Father made, things, made, made all things through the Son and for the Son. So in other words, he made everything through his Son, but he made everything in order to give it to his Son. So all of created reality is given as a gift from the Father to the Son. And, and you, might, you might say it like this, from all of eternity, God took so much delight in his son that this love spilled over into creation. And he created all things, not because he had to, but to give as an inheritance to his son, to make him Lord over all. Okay? Now, as, as we move into, into uh, Paul's letters, Paul's going to say in 1 Corinthians 3, he's going to say, as a Christian now, all things are yours. And Why? Well, here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, The world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. Why? Because you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Right? So you can, you can trace the divine economy of grace. God creates the world for the Son, and the Son, in His grace, gives us 
everything in him. And this is what Paul means to say. The inheritance that we receive is all things. All things in Christ. And if we are in Christ, that means, at base, that means that we need nothing because we already have all things. Okay? And you you might say, well, I have all things. That sounds rather extravagant. I don't really understand what that means. But I just want you to think, if you believe that you already have all things in Christ and you don't get that raise, you don't get that promotion, you don't get that house, you don't get that car, somebody else gets that promotion, (laughs) you're able to console yourself and say, you know what, I didn't get that, but I have all things in Christ. And here's what uh, Martin Luther said. He, He wrote a book called The Freedom of the Christian. And he, and he started out with the, the book uh, by, by giving this thesis. He, says, he said, a Christian is perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. Okay? And then he, sa- and then he said, but, but, because we are subject to none, free Lord of all, what does this free us to do? It frees us to be a perfectly dutiful servant to all. In, in other words, if we have all good things in Christ, that means that we're freed to serve. We're free to not be envious, to not be jealous, to not be backbiting. Right? We have all things. And here's what, here's a, I think we have this quote on the screen here from Martin Luther. He says this. He says, Although I am an unworthy and condemned man, my God has given me in Christ all the riches of righteousness. I will therefore give myself as Christ to my neighbor, just as Christ offered himself to me. I will do nothing in this life except what I see is necessary, profitable, and salutary to my neighbor, since through faith I have an abundance of all good things in Christ. Right, do you see that? Do you see that? Therefore, because I have an abundance of all good things in Christ, therefore I can give myself away in service to my neighbor. I am Lord over all because of Christ, but that frees me to serve. And that's what, that's what Jesus did. He was Lord, and yet he gave up all things to serve us in the cross. And now that we have been given all things, now we are sent out into the world to, to serve. So that's That's what Martin Luther says. And that's our first point. We have this great inheritance in Christ. We have become sons, and so God gives us all things in him. All right, but let's look at our second point here. Uh, The second thing that Paul wants us to understand is he wants us to know about God's power. Uh, Not only the inheritance, but God's power. So let's go ahead and look at uh, verse 19. And here's what Paul says. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. All right, so what's Paul saying here? He wants us to know about a power, okay? And I just just love Paul because Paul is, is, he's a great theologian, but he's totally illogical. (laughs) Because he says this, he says, "I, I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power. So in other words, I, I want you to be able to calculate something that's incalculable. <laughs> right? I, I want you to, to, to comprehend something that is incomprehensible. Okay? Now that, that's a great ironic sentence given to us by Paul. He wants us to understand something that's not understandable. And you know, there, there are some things that we know by calculation, right? So if I want to go to Little Rock, I put in my GPS, I can calculate how many miles and how long it's going to take. I can even calculate the... Uh, uh, how much traffic there's going to be, okay? Um, I, I, can, I can measure 
the height of my kitchen table. I can weigh myself, right, and know my weight, even though I don't ever want to do that, you know. But I can, I can calculate all of those things, okay? But then there are also some things that you can know, but you, that you can't calculate, right? You, there, there are some things that you can know, that, but that, that you simply can't measure, right? So, so I can't measure the amount of love that I have for my wife, right? I can't bag up this love and put it on a scale and say, man, I love her 300 pounds worth, you know? That's, that's, not, po- that's not possible, but I, but I can know the love that I have for her, right? Um, there, there are some things that we can know without measuring. Uh, nevertheless, we can know it, and this is what Paul wants us to know. He wants us to know something that we can't measure, and, and what is that? It's the immeasurable power that is at work in us, okay? And what power is it? What power is it? Well, Paul, Paul tells us it is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in us, okay? And, and then you say, well, that's great, Paul, but what is that power? Okay. Um, well, that power is the Holy Spirit, Right? When, when, when Christ was condemned, the world condemned him. They, they, they sentenced him as a, uh, as a guilty man. They put him to death. And then God the Father overturned that verdict. Right? And in overturning that verdict, he rose Christ up in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, the Spirit is God's power at work towards us. And in fact, the Bible talks about two means by which God works towards us. Um, we're told over and over again, God the Father works through his Son by the Spirit. So for instance, Colossians says that all things were created through Christ. Right? But we know from uh, Genesis that it was by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can think of it like this. Christ is the blueprint of creation. But what is the Spirit? The Spirit is the hammer and the nails of creation. Right? Christ is the navigation GPS but the Spirit is the car to get there. Okay. Uh, Irenaeus, he, he was an early church father, he, he liked to talk about how God has two hands. And he does all things by his two hands. His right hand is his son, his left hand is the Spirit. And what, what is the Spirit? Well, if, if, if the Son is the blueprint, the Spirit is the power. The Spirit is the power at work to do stuff, Right? Creation, he creates through his son, but he does it by the power, the energizing power of the spirit. He raises Christ up, but he does it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, why why did I say all that? Well, I I just want you to think, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? You know, the purpose of Christ is that he do something for us. He dies for us. He raises for us. But what does the spirit do? The Spirit does something in us. He abides in us. He makes us holy. He sanctifies us. Right? You can think about the Apostles' Creed. What, what does the Spirit do? The Spirit creates the church. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church. The Spirit is the one who makes God's salvation real within you. The Spirit is the one who makes you objectively holy, subjectively holy. The Spirit is the one who abides in you and gives you the power now to be Christ-like. You know, it's, it's one thing to admire Christ out there. 
Jesus does something for me out there. He dies for me over there on that cross. He is born over there in that manger. But then it's a totally other thing to have Christ in here. Right? You know, there was, uh, I feel like I've told this story before, but there was one time where we were over at the Fretwells, and they have a, a basketball uh, thing in, in the back of their yard. And um, I, I don't, when it comes to basketball, I don't know my right from my left. I, I, it was awful. And uh, what's, what's even worse is, like, I showed up. It was this men's event, and they started playing basketball. I showed up in my loafers. Why, why did I do that? I don't know. But we started playing basketball, and, and all I'm doing is I'm just running around getting sweaty, doing nothing. And the few times that I got a, a basket, the basketball in my hands, nothing happened, you know? <laughs> it's like it's a great idea. Lucas can play basketball, but when it actually happens, it's not, it's not possible. You know, it's, it's one thing to observe Michael Jordan over there, slam, slamming dunks. What is that phrase? Slam dunking? Okay. But then it's, it's a whole other thing to have the power of Michael Jordan inside of you. What if Michael Jordan was able to get inside of me and play through me? And then I would kill all those dudes, you know? I wish, you know. This is what happens with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes what Christ has done out there and he makes him real in here. He produces a holiness that is greater than the power that rose Christ from the dead. He produces something inside of us that we do not have the power to do. And Paul wants us to know this so that we can be holy. Uh, We can't be holy by our own power, you know. Uh, We cannot obey by our own power. We cannot even delight in the law of God, save the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes Christ and what he has done and he makes it real inside of us. So those those are the two things that Paul prays for us. He prays, first of all, for, uh, for a knowledge of this inheritance, that we receive all things in Christ. But then second of all, he prays that we would know this power. That Christ is not simply outside of us, but now he, he is inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the application of a text like this? Um, and, and maybe this is why texts like this are, are often overlooked. Because what is Paul doing? He's just praying. <laughs> but what is the application? What do we do now? What do we do with this prayer? Well, we take this prayer and we pray this prayer. Right? We, we, we say, okay, I don't know my inheritance most of the time. I'm jealous. I'm, 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 I, back, I, I, I gossip about people. I, I want a better, bigger and better car, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, and I fall into sin every single day. All of us do. So, so what do we do? We need to pray that God would enlighten us, that he would open our eyes, that he would open our mind, that he would give us the capacity to see these things and to operate as if we had this inheritance, as if we had this power, because so often we, we live like beggars, wanting riches, not knowing that we have the world. And so the application is very simple. Make a practice of praying for God's enlightening power. Pray that God would open your eyes to what he has given you. Right? God has given us far more than a get-out-of-hell-free ticket. (laughs) He's given us far more. And so pray that he would help us to understand it. Uh, Pray that he would help us to live by that power. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us these things. And so often we live as people in poverty, as people who don't have 
these riches in Christ who don't have this power to overcome sin. We live as if we have not been raised with Christ. Um, we live as if we're still in our sin. Uh, Father, open our eyes uh, every single day. Help us to pray uh, that you would continue to open our eyes. Help us to not live as blind people, but as ones who have eyes wide open. And uh, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.